we're your tipsy host, Sarah, Sarah, Lindsay. Hey guys. Hello. Hi. Um, so I know the last couple episodes we've been doing this real fun game of like, what is the official government name of companies is what you did. Yes. We also came up with names for planets. It we're, got me thinking. Animals. We're really good at all of these things. Animals. Got me thinking of something else we can guess. Mm-hmm. And I think we maybe have done this once before, but I figured it needed more topic. We need to talk about celebrity names. Okay. Oh my gosh. What do you mean celebrity names? I'm confused. I die laughing anytime <laughs> I hear these. We're going to talk about real, these are my air quotes, you can't see them, but they're real celebrity names. Are these like names that celebrities have picked to go by that aren't their real names? No. You'll get the hang of it. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Let's start with Ice-T. What do we think Ice-T's full name is? Oh, okay. So, yes. Yeah. Like stage names. Okay. What's Ice-T's real name? I don't know. John Smith. <laughs> that has nothing to do with Ice-T. It has something to do with their... Tom Smith. <laughs> Tom Smith? <laughs> T. Oh, okay. Am I, wait, are we, I'm uh, trying to guess Ice-T's real name, right? Uh, no, what am I trying to guess? Give her the example. Okay, for example, what is Ice-T's real name? Lipton. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I was very confused by this. Okay. I know, that's why I was like. <laughs> okay, okay, so this is like not actual people. They're real people. They're real people, fake names. But you gotta, like, they have... They already have a fake name, and you have to guess what the the longer version of the fake name is. Okay, okay, okay. Did that help? Um, maybe. You'll Give get, me another you'll one. You'll get it. Um, okay. Ice Cube. Any guesses? Okay, Ice Cube. Um, Trey. Trey. Oh, Trey. Like, <laughs> like an Ice Cube tray? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking three again. Yeah. No, both. I I'm still not sure I understand the game. Okay. So no. Ice not- to, to the power of three. Very close. Icelandic cubicle. Ice cube. <laughs> okay. Ice cube is short for Icelandic cubicle. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Elon Musk. What would Elon Musk be short for? Elongated fragrance. Muskrat. I was thinking fragrance. You Something fragrance. It is elongated muskrat. Stop. <laughs> All right. T pain. Um, tibia. Okay. Painful. Ooh, very uh, good. Tylenol for pain. Very close. Tylenol pain relief. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I should play. <laughs> you got Tylenol. I said tibia. <laughs> I don't think I understand any of these, but You're okay. doing good. The rock. Thedonius Rockabus. Okay. Any guesses, Lens? No. Nope. It's short for Theodore Rocking Chair. Oh, my God. Obviously. <laughs> Theodore Rocking Chair. Oh, the. Okay. Uh, how about uh, Bow Wow? Oh, I don't know this one. Bow. Bow Chicka Wow Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Bow Chicka now you're Wow. It. Wow. It's not right, but you're getting it. No, it's right. I like that better. Thank I you. do too, actually. It's short for Boward Woward. <laughs> What is Boward Woward? <laughs> what is any of it? <laughs> Boward Woward. <laughs> I think I'm, I think, the, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just not understanding She's the funny. Too literal. <laughs> These are my favorite. I thought they were hilarious. What about Cher? What do we think Cher's real name is or Cher's short for? Sharing is caring. It is sharing is caring. Yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't remember that. This is so good. Oh. Uh, do you know Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh. Benedictine Cumber some batch of fun. <laughs> I like that. A for creativity. Thank you. I don't know how you're going to top that one. I'm not. Okay. Try Benadryl Cucumber Patch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so close. Uh, 50 cent? Um, half a dollar. Nice. Oh, okay. There she is. <laughs> it's the most literal thing I can think of. Yes. <laughs> I can't top that. 50th century. 50th century. <laughs> <laughs> this is you guys' humor (laughs) very much so (laughs) very niche but i quite enjoy it we'll do a few more how about snoop dog snoopity doobity dog (laughs) snoopity doggity (laughs) it's actually snooper doggit but i like (laughs) snoopity doggity (laughs) Just say doogity instead of doggity. <laughs> um, J. Cole would be Julius Coleslaw. <laughs> Just you guys. <laughs> Jay Z is J. New Zealand. <laughs> and my favorite, what about Cardi B? Oh. If you know it, you can spoil it. Car- cardigan. cardigan be warm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Come on. Uh, you are getting to our level. There she is. Take another drink. <laughs> um, Cardi-, Cardi B's full name is Cardigan Backyard again. <laughs> I was close with Cardigan. <laughs> I love the Backyardigans. You, too. you got Cardigan. I'm so <laughs> That's all I could think of with Cardi. Cardigan Backyardigan. <laughs> oh, my head hurts now. <laughs> Celebrities' real names. Lonzie, um, what are you thinking of? <laughs> She's like, a- how am I friends with these people? <laughs> Tell us a knock knock joke. I can't put me on the spot like that. Okay, do you have joke. a regular joke? No. I have one. I feel like I've told you guys all my jokes. What? What is a pirate's favorite letter? Arg. You think it's the R, but it's really the C. <laughs> oh. The accent was perfect. You had to really get into it to perfect. <laughs> I tried. So I am talking to you guys about true crime this week. True crime. Sorry, I felt like I had to burp. So you literally <laughs> stared right at her while she did it. <laughs> you sorry, could have jumped you didn't in jump too. in either. I, it's my story. You guys should be singing for me. We should all sing together. Okay, ready? And a one, <sighs> and a two, and true crime. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like how I went low? He's a bass. <laughs> I added a little vibrato at the end there. Oh, I didn't hear it. Can a try vibrato. It again? No, I'm not doing it again. A solo. You're going to have to li- just rewind if you want to listen. It's true. I'm going to talk to you guys about true crime. Can't wait to hear about it. Fun fact, this story is so long that I've decided to split it up into two different episodes. So you'll be getting a part two next time I speak. Okay. <laughs> Tonight, I'll just be focusing on the actual story of D.B. Cooper. Oh, I feel like we just mentioned him. We did just mention D.B. Cooper. The Coops. Coops. The Deebs. Yeah. The Deebs, the Coops. Deebs, Beebs, Coops. You know, it's one of the stories that way. Deebs, Bees. Deebs, Bees. That's what D.B. stands for. 
It's one of these stories that we all kind of have heard of, and maybe we've seen some things, um, documentaries, but I'll tell you about it anyways. So, November 24th. What is happening with your hands? I'm just waiting. You look like you're praying. <laughs> I'm waiting for my please. cup to be filled. Tell me your story now. I'm, I'm ready tired to of receive waiting. the D's of the bees. I'm ready to receive these bees. The blood and the body. These bees? <laughs> The body of these bees. <laughs> or Christ, whichever. What did you do to him? <laughs> Christ, nothing. Um, these bees. TBD. TBD's bees. <laughs> TBD, these bees. These bees is <clears throat> TB's D's. <laughs> <laughs> Brain explosion. <laughs> you need to stop. Please tell us about DB Cooper. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay, so this is the day before Thanksgiving, November 24th, 1971. A man approaches the Northwest Airlines counter to purchase a one-way ticket to Seattle for $20. He appeared to be in his 40s. He was white and had dark hair, brown eyes, was wearing a dark suit, white shirt, a clip-on tie, sunglasses, and he also had a briefcase and a raincoat, a.k.a. trench coat. So the agent gave him a form to sign, and he signed his name as Dan Cooper. D.B. He literally just signed it as Dan Cooper. So there's no B at this time. Okay. So then he began walking towards the boarding gate. When he boarded the plane, he walked to the very back row and sat next to the window away from other passengers. There were a total of 37 passengers on this flight. It's such a small flight. I know. After the plane takes off, Cooper handed a note to the flight attendant named Florence Schaffner. All right, Florence. Flo. Flo. She was sitting in the seat behind him. She really didn't think much of this note that Coop handed her because she's like, it's probably another businessman trying to hit on me and give me his number. Oh my gosh, it's so annoying. So she was like, thanks, and put it in her purse and didn't even open it or look at it. And a few minutes later, he leaned back and whispered, uh, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. I just kind of think that's funny because he's like, hey, this is important when she like pays no attention. He's like... Hello. Excuse you. I have a bomb. <laughs> Pay attention to That's me. That's what the B is for. Dan mm-hmm. Bomb Cooper. Oh. oh. Maybe. So, Flo, she opens the note. And sure enough, in very neat writing, it says, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase. And I want you to sit by me. Sounds weird. But um, she moved to sit next to Cooper and quietly asked him to show her the bomb. When he opens his briefcase, she could see four red cylinders, which she assumed were dynamite, and attached to this dynamite was a large cylindrical battery. He closed the briefcase and told Schaffner to write down a list of his demands, which she did, and then she brought the demands to the cockpit and informed the crew of what was going on. The captain told her to go ahead and stay in the cockpit and take notes as everything was happening. The captain contacted Northwest Flight Operations in Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Thank you. That, that sounds really right. And told them of Cooper's demands, which included, quote, $200,000 in a knapsack by 5 p.m. The knapsack is very important. Did you do the conversions? No. This is 1971? Yes. It's almost $1.5 million. It's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. I was just curious because you said $20 for a flight. So I was yeah. like, $200,000. Got to stuff it all in a knapsack. He wants it by 5 p.m. He also wants two front parachutes and two back parachutes. He wants the money in negotiable American currency. Everyone assumed that because he requested two sets of parachutes that he would be taking a hostage with him. 
So now that Schaffner was in the cockpit, another flight attendant named Tina Mucklow was acting as the liaison between Cooper and the rest of the flight crew. Cooper began making additional demands that included, quote, upon landing in Seattle, the fuel trucks must meet the plane and all passengers must remain seated while she brought the money aboard. He said he would release the passengers once he had the money and that the last four items brought aboard would be the parachutes. So he's very specific about his needs. The captain informed air traffic controller control of the situation and they contacted local police as well as the FBI. During all of this time, the passengers were told that there would be a slight delay in Seattle because of a minor mechanical difficulty. So they just kind of kept everybody in the, in the dark about what was going on. They didn't want to create panic. I can understand that. Yeah. Although now it makes me wonder, because they said that they had to burn off gas. It would be an easier landing. Um, makes me wonder all those times where they're like, oh, we've had a minor technical issue. We need to delay. It's like... Your plane's getting hijacked for money. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Obviously. D.B. Cooper. Uh, The flight circled Seattle for almost two hours while authorities gathered enough money for the ransom. They also gathered the parachutes and got all of emergency personnel organized. Mucklow, the flight attendant, remained by his side throughout this time and later reported that he seemed familiar with the terrain based on some of the comments he was making, like, that looks like Tacoma down there. He seemed to know based on just the trees, basically. The geography. Mm-hmm. Who was providing the $200,000? Was it like the airlines or? No, um, authorities were working on this. And I will tell you guys that this has been an open case. It was an open case for almost 40 years. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of detail in this story. And everybody seems to have their own theories. We'll get into all this a little bit later and probably part two. But what I tell you guys is probably going to be the tip of the iceberg. If you want to find information, they actually have it on the FBI website and it's all available to the public too. But when they gathered the ransom money, they went to different banks, basically the FBI did. And then they serial numbers on the the money so they could track it. Gotcha. Later on. Okay. Mucklow, the flight attendant, she also stated that he was actually very nice and didn't come across as rude or cruel at all. He also offered to tip the flight attendant several times throughout the flight. She asked him why he chose this airline, and his response was, quote, I don't have a grudge against your airline. I just have a grudge. He has a grudge. (laughs) He's got some justice to write. Yeah. 5.46 p.m., Flight 305 lands at Seattle-Tacoma Airport. The captain parks the plane on a runway that was not near the main terminal. Cooper demanded that only one representative from the airline was to approach the plane with his money and the parachutes and that the only entrance and exit that was to be used would be the one at the front of the plane. Mucklow exited the plane and retrieved the ransom money. She carried it back onto the plane to Cooper, and after he had the money, he agreed to go ahead and release the passengers. Mucklow then went back out to retrieve the parachutes, and after this, the flight attendants asked if they could leave. Cooper replied, whatever you girls would like. He really couldn't care, so they left. Do what you want. I would like to leave, please. (laughs) Can I leave? (laughs) Sure, I don't care. Uh, except Mucklow, she had to stay. Oh. Yeah. 7.40 p.m., Flight 305 took off again. This time, there were only five people aboard, and the flight was now being followed by three military planes that were completely out of his view. Cooper told Mucklow to go ahead and lower the staircase on the airplane. In the air? Yep. And she replied that she was scared that she and the rest of the crew would be sucked out of the airplane if that this were to happen. That's a valid fear. It's a stairway to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that's where that came from. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Timing seems right. 
Cooper finally decided he would just lower the staircase himself and instructed her to just go to the cockpit and not to return. She begged him to please take the bomb with him. And Cooper said it'd just be easier for him to go ahead and disarm it than to take it with him. So was Mm. it really dynamite? Probably not. No. At 8 p.m., there was an alarm in the cockpit that the stairs had been deployed. The captain radioed overhead, asking Cooper if he needed help. And the last thing they heard him say was, no. He was like, I got it, guys. Back (laughs) off. Um, At that time, the crew's ears all popped from the pressure dropping when the stairs opened, so they knew that something was going on. At 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section suddenly pitched upwards, which forced the pilots to return the aircraft to a level form. They later stated in an interview that this was near Portland, Oregon. 11.02 p.m., the flight lands in Reno Tahoe Airport with the staircase still deployed. That's how the pilot landed the plane. That's impressive. It very, it very much is. There, several people were waiting for the flight to land, including FBI agents, sheriff agents, and local police. Initially, they were concerned that Cooper was still on board and had the bomb. But after the captain was the bravest one of them all, he searched the cabin and declared that it was safe. So as far as the investigation goes, the FBI agents found 66 unknown fingerprints. His black clip-on tie from JCPenney's. Yes. Can't forget the tie. Yes. He didn't want it flapping in the wind. That's right. <laughs> Just ah, right in his face. That's why he did a clip on so he could easily take it off. <laughs> he probably picked it out from the catalogs. Yes. Oh, Remember those catalogs? Maybe you just didn't know how to tie a tie. It is kind of hard. It's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And two of the four parachutes. So. He only took two. Again, we're going to get into theories in episode two, but it makes you wonder. Maybe he was trying to take somebody with him. They interviewed um, eyewitnesses and were able to create the infamous composite sketch that we've all likely seen. Mm-hmm. And they immediately began interviewing suspects. Obviously, they started with a Portland citizen who also na- was named D.B. Cooper. Uh, D.B. Poor guy. <laughs> I know. After checking him out, they ruled him out as a suspect. But unfortunately for that guy, the name stuck. And his pseudonym from there on out was known as D.B. Cooper. Okay. It was printed in all the papers. And there you are. So December 6th, 1971, J. Edgar Hoover approved the use of an Air Force SR-71 Blackbird to retrace and photograph the flight path to try to relocate Cooper's items that were carried during his jump. But this was not successful. A month after the hijacking, the FBI sent out serial numbers on all the money that was given to him to several different institutes that they thought lots of money would be coming through, like casinos and banks. Um, They offered a reward to anyone who turned it in, and two men attempted to counterfeit $20 bills with the numbers on it, but they were caught. Other than that, nothing came of it. The FBI also attempted to recreate the flight and the jump. This placed Cooper's landing zone near Mount St. Helens in Washington. They searched the areas by foot and by helicopter and also went door to door at local farmhouses, but didn't find anything. So spring 1972, they started getting more serious about their search efforts. 200 soldiers conducted an 18-day search in March and another 18-day search in April over the same area in Washington. They also used a submarine to search a nearby lake, hoping maybe they had just missed something that sunk to the bottom or maybe a body. During this time, two local women had come across a human skeleton, but this was later to, er, later confirmed to be the remains of Barbara and Derry, not D.B. Cooper. Ultimately, this search effort led to nothing. 
1980, a young boy was vacationing with his family near Vancouver, Washington, when he uncovered three packets of ransom money, totaling about $5,800. The bills had disintegrated from exposure to the elements, but were still bundled in their rubber bands. This sparked new investigations in the area, but again, they couldn't find anything. Hmm. Just very frustrating. Several years later, in July of 2016, the FBI announces that their active investigation of D.B. Cooper was suspended. They were like, we just can't do this. We give up. Yeah, we've got kind of important things to do right now. (laughs) And we got to move on. All evidence is now preserved at the FBI headquarters and is also visible to the public, as I mentioned, on the FBI website. It remains the only unsolved case of air piracy in commercial aviation history. So... I'm going to talk to you guys about just a few of the suspects that they, they went with. And I think I'll get into more of the theories and more suspects in part two, because it just had to be broken down. The theories themselves are wild. And if you know anything about this case, you know what I'm talking about. But pretty much from the get go, the FBI was kind of skeptical that he even survived this jump. They claimed that he didn't have much knowledge at all about skydiving, that he was unfamiliar with the parachutes based on the ones that he asked for specifically. They also said he didn't have the right equipment. He jumped into a wooded area during bad weather. And the, also the fact that none of the ransom money was ever used. So between 1971 and 2016, the FBI processed more than a thousand suspects. And the first one I'm going to tell you about is somebody called Ted Braden. He was a special forces commando during the Vietnam war, a master skydiver, and also a convicted felon. In December of 1966, while in Vietnam, he deserted his unit and went to the Congo to serve as a mercenary. He was there only a short time before being arrested and taken back to the United States. He was given an honorable discharge and unable to reenlist in the military. During the time of the Cooper hijacking, Ted was working as a truck driver and the headquarters happened to be in Washington state. Ted also had been investigated in the seventies by the FBI for stealing $250,000. Interesting number Mm -hmm. during a trucking scam, but he was never actually charged and he was not very well liked and was described by a family member as being quote, the perfect combination of high intelligence and criminality. Mm. Dangerous combination. Yup. The next guy is Kenneth Peter Christensen. In 2003, a Minnesota resident. Man, we are just hitting Minnesota hard. Minnesota. (laughs) Lyle Christensen was watching a documentary on the Cooper hijacking when he realized, huh, I think this guy might be my brother, Kenneth. Oh, no. Lyle? Lyle. Kenneth? Lyle's turning in his brother. He was convinced it was his dead brother now. Oh, his dead brother. Yeah. Gosh. (laughs) Kenneth couldn't even, like, defend himself. Poor Kenny. Uh, So it gets even worse with Kenny. Uh, Lyle contacted the FBI and also movie director in hopes that a movie might be made. Lyle, I see his motive here. Lyle. Lyle, Lyle, the liar. Ooh. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nobody would. (laughs) Lyle, the liar. Well, shocker. Nobody would listen to him. Um, So he would just hire a private investigator on his own. It turns out Kenneth joined the army in 1944 and was a trained paratrooper. So he kind of fit the bill. And after leaving, leaving the army, he became a flight attendant and a purser, which is somebody who handles the money on the flight. And one of the flight attendants who was with Cooper stated that the pictures of Kenneth fit her memory of what Cooper actually looked like, but she couldn't conclusively identify him. What did Kenneth die of? Like, 
Don't ask questions, Lindsay. He jumped <laughs> out of an airplane with money. <laughs> he, nobody knows. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and the last person on this episode I want to tell you about is John List. <gasps> John List? Oh, my that God. That sounds him. familiar. That sounds like the episode we just did. Bob, did. is that you, Bob? Bob? John, a.k.a. Bob. <laughs> Bob Clark. He unfortunately murdered his entire family 15 days before the hijacking. I don't think I realized even when we were talking about it that it was so close, though, in yeah. time. It's 15 days. Boy, Bob really escalated. <laughs> he also took $200,000 from his mother's bank account, which is the magic number, and disappeared. Hmm. And after he was captured in 1989, like we talked about, he actually denied any involvement. So really no other evidence supports this. It was that just sounds suspicious. Suspicious. Of course he would deny it. Yeah. You know what, though? But the D.B. Cooper sketch looks pretty similar, probably with the glasses. When I start showing you the pictures of these suspects, it is shocking how all of them look so much like the sketch of this person. Well, I think the sketch of D.B. Cooper that we all know is like the most generic white it's man. It's very generic. Yeah. But like but half still, the U.S. male population could like, oh, identify. That could be it. And then you read the next story and you're like, well, <laughs> maybe this guy could be it. And what's even worse is that a lot of the people's families are really convinced that their family member is <laughs> D.B. Cooper. And what they're like throwing him under the bus. I don't know, man. <laughs> these bees. <laughs> these bees. Still unsolved. So we're going to talk more about the different theories because as I mentioned, those are wild in and of themselves. So I had to break it up for you. I can't wait to hear about the theories. It's my favorite part of the story. Yeah. Do we think he jumped out of the plane with his trench coat on? He <laughs> wasn't in the plane. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because you can that can be like a parachute. He was falling with style. Uh, what about his glasses? It was dark out. I think he probably um, threw the glasses 200 out. 200 mile an hour winds. He put on like the elastic band to hold him to his okay. face. Like goggles? Yes. Okay. I think he probably threw them off because they would have fallen off. Do you think he has off. any skin left on his face from How the jump? How would he see? It was dark. What does he need to see? That's trees. The most time that you need to see is in the dark. I'm saying he wouldn't have been able to see anything even with the sunglasses. <laughs> sunglasses wouldn't have helped him see. Oh, I don't know. What Maybe if they're transitions? They <laughs> Did we have transitions in 71? Maybe. I don't know. I just picture him jumping out of the plane and be like, you know, I didn't really think this all the way through. <laughs> He didn't think it would work that far. Yeah. Yeah. Just real quick. What do you think? Do you think he was dead or alive? I think he probably got like sucked out of like the airplane and wasn't ready. And I think he died. Okay. Interesting. How many feet were they flying whenever he jumped? They, it was like five minutes after takeoff. Oh, so pretty close. Um, yeah, there's a chance that he lived. He's still like several thousand feet up. Mm-hmm. But they go faster than like skydiving planes. So right. that's what I'm saying. Like got sucked out. And that's why she was afraid when mm-hmm. they opened the door. I think he was impaled by a tree. <laughs> I was going to say, I think he died instantly. <laughs> okay. I don't think he ever touched the ground. Uh, that's just my guess. But I maybe I'll learn more. I don't know. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thanks for our part one of D.B. Cooper. You're welcome. You know, I loved Unsolved Mysteries. You know, I hate Unsolved. So I'm shocked that I did it. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to our part one of D.B. Cooper. Make sure you guys check out next week for part two. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it really does help. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.